Welcome to 25 Years of Vampire the Masquerade, a retrospective. Presented to you by UtilityMuffinLabs.com. Welcome once again to 25 Years of Vampire the Masquerade, a retrospective. Of course, like always, I am Nathan. And I'm Bob. And today we're going to review a very special book. I think uh, a really groundbreaking book for this game, the Vampire Storyteller's Handbook. And we briefly mentioned it in our previous podcast that uh, both of us admire this book. This book is incredible. This is the the seeds for the farm. This is where all the planting happens because the yield is fantastic in the imagination of the mind. Uh, I feel like in this book, we really start to see where uh, White Wolf is going to go with their entire line of games. Uh, we start to see all of the um, antagonists being ironed out and and sort of the gears turning for the growth of their entire system, not just Vampire the Masquerade. And it's, and it's weird, right? Because in this book, they're going to give you samples. Like they give you an idea of what they wanted, but it's just the tip of the iceberg for right. what they produce later on. Right, and, and it's just like we had uh, we had mentioned in our previous podcasts where we start to see formation of the Sabbat. We're going to see some some new things that are going to lead to a lot of great things in the future. So I figure we should probably stop waxing poetic and start our get to our it. summary and review of this book. So, so for the reader, we're going to skip what this book is. We already did an intro of it. We're also going to skip a special thanks from White Wolf. That's we're not in that year. Whatever. Um, we're getting right to the meat of it. So we're going to start off with the, of course, the summary that it's going to go down. I'll rifle through this real quick. We're going to talk about the chapter one, which is the story. Chapter two, which is about the chronicle. Three of the setting. Then we got the motive, which is important as a storyteller. Five, we have the enemy. What you're going to put in, what could be the enemies. And six, the ways, as they put it. And then, of course, you got an appendix. And really, all the appendix is is where we first see the enchanted items. And I'm just going to make a quick footnote. This competes with D&D at this point. Yeah. Like, literally, vampires yeah. competing with D&D. The, these, are, I feel like, the enchanted items for vampires, maybe a little bit of a misstep. Uh, definitely, you can have interesting and unique items in your game. But I don't feel like you need a list of them. I feel like... Uh, there are purpose like you'll see in some of the later splat books and stuff where where like they'll have uh, unique items which makes sense for the story that they're telling but at this point I, I feel like we don't need to go down to the sword store and buy an enchanted katana it's probably not super important to the game right it's one of those things where it's intimate to the chronicle if you're the storyteller and you need an enchanted item you make it there's not going to be a catch-all for that because guess what we don't know what game you're running no, no, absolutely not. But uh, uh, to to move forward, we're looking at chapter one now, the story. Nate, to ask a simple question, what what is a story? Well, a story is uh, I don't know. That's that's a really good question. A story is a story. I don't I don't know how to redefine something as simple as a story. Well, to they do define it and they break it down right the story parts as they as they call it. Right. Uh, the most important thing is that this chapter one does define what the story is to the storyteller what your what the meat of it what what are you doing right. what is your title right what what was your point for creating a game and assembling your friends what are you trying to accomplish because at this point this is the quint at, at this point there's no difference between dungeon master and storyteller 
However, right. this chapter tells you what that difference is. Right. If you're if you're dealing with a you know a troop that you know wants to go and grab their swords and grind through and gain experience points, you know definitely Vampire the Masquerade was not the game for you. It's it's not the game for you today. It wasn't it's, then. It's the wrong game. I I've played D and D. We've played D and D, and quite frankly, it's boring as shit compared to Vampire. It certainly can be, and and I think that that's because of the perception that you're dealing with stats. You're dealing with you go do this quest, you get this XP, you get this weapon. That's not what this game is. Fuck me in a way. Um, you can look at D and D as it it's a board game without the board. It, it's very much that's that's the case, and and that's not to say that. Uh, you know, intelligent and creative people can't make riveting stories in that game. Oh, I'm Definitely. gonna go out there and I'm gonna say yes, it is. I I, I personally don't believe that it's it's impossible. I I believe it's very possible. Uh, I believe that uh, you know any of us or any other skilled uh, creative person, you know, storyteller for lack of a better term, can use that setting to create interesting stories. And I'm only arguing that that person then takes that game out of what it is. Sure, absolutely. Because it's like it's not to be opposite of you. We've played in Chronicles where any good Chronicle of D and D where some it's going to be a good game starts with, "Hey guys, I read the rules. I'm bending a lot of them. Some of them ignoring because it doesn't fit in my view." Yeah, for sure. You're now not playing Dungeons and Dragons. <laughs> for sure, for sure. And that's what it comes and this down is to. this is not like a dog Dungeons and Dragons session. No. It's just to make the the very uh, blatant comparison between a game of personal horror like Vampire the Masquerade. Uh, a game that is rich with storytelling ideas and a game that is stat-based first, story second. I will go out and say that Dungeons & Dragons and Pathfinder and all that, those games, there's a reason you can be age eight and up and start playing that game, and it's because you can tell someone, read the rules, read what your role is, now let's play the game. Right, the goblin's bad, you're good, go kill the goblin. Exactly, and that's but that's not reality, right? No. Vampire is definitely for a mature audience. It's something that you got, you know, like if you're a parent and you want your kid to play vampire, they at least got to be able to understand what sex is about. I, uh, I'm just saying definitely. by comparison. Uh, very much so. Because usually they learn about violence from somewhere and they get that violence is bad, can't go around beating up people. They're going to murder somebody in right. this game. And the very nature of what a vampire is, you're not playing the paladin you're not playing the lawful good fighter or the you know true neutral uh you know uh, monk right you're, you're you're playing a a creature of darkness you're playing someone who feeds off of the life essence to survive uh, now feeds off the life of the essence of human beings to survive what we're doing right now is actually something every storyteller should do storyboarding you're essentially actually you're, you're actually doing a, a pivotal part which is before you even get to the story you're hashing out what your game is and what it isn't. Right. And you got to do that. I know later on, White Wolf kind of comes back to uh, let's write out the scene. And that failed miserably, just so you know, it, it, in their new world of darkness. But we're not there yet. And we're going to go through that, too. Like We're going to go old to new just to get that out of the system. But the concept parts here, conceptualization of what a story is, a story is understanding that it is a gray area to what you're building. A story is never going to be... Oh, here's this. Oh, what's a what's a good thing? Here's Die Hard, right? And you have Bruce Willis's character, and he's going to Nakatomi Plaza, and he's going to put it to the bad guy. He's going to stop them from ruining Christmas, and then that's it. We're right. gonna, we're gonna roll credits, and you know, great to see. That's TV. It's very linear. It's already built. It's already established. Can you really change that? And the thing is, when you make your story as a storyteller, it can be that do you but that's not a great game to me right. that's a game where 
this 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 guy didn't have to have players. He just wrote it out. Hey, let me tell you a story. Right. But what was the player involvement? Right. Exactly. This and, story helps out. And, with and, that. and they, they break down here, too. You know, they go over the story, chronicle, setting. And these are all things that are very important because the, the key to running a successful and enjoyable Vampire the Masquerade game is literally creating a world around your players. And that can be a very daunting task. And say that again, building a world around your players. We're done. And That's again, the whole book. that can be a very daunting task, but they give you so many different tools here to show you that you can compartmentalize. You can build this, this enjoyable world with the assistance of their other books and your own imagination. You know, when you, when you talk about a chronicle, you want to, you want to think about where is this game overall, all the sessions we have together, where is it going to go? It's going to start at A and it's going to start at B or it's going to end at B rather, but how are we going to get there? That's where they discuss in the Chronicle. And, and so when we're talking about it, just to move on from that point, that, that is, we're all talking about story. Let's define it. When you get to a story concept, it's the very first thing you do. Right. It's, it's really, I want to tell a story, a story about what? I want to tell a story about whatever, you, whatever fills your head at that point. Right. And for every storyteller, it rarely comes like that. It's usually like you just saw a kick-ass movie, and that movie the movie touched you in some type of way. And you're like, how do I make that movie and have my friends playing it? Because it'd be really fun without like completely ripping off that film. Right. That's called inspiration. That That's okay. You can be inspired by that. But then you got to take into, into effect, what's this world of darkness we have? How do I get this chronicle? Why did I think vampire could fit this? What can I do about that movie I watched that didn't take an inspiration? And how do I put that in a start to finish story? What's the concept? Right. That's what we're doing. We're conceptualizing how that all fits in. Right. Absolutely. Is this going to be an Indiana Jones movie? Is this going to be a romp through vampires like a Blade movie? Is this going to be a mystery? Is this going to be Chinatown? You know, what? what is this game going to be? What's the theme you're trying to impart upon your players? Am I just going to make it a mystery? Am I just going to make it a romance, a thriller, an adventure, or parts of all of them? Right. Absolutely. And that's completely okay. Great story, by the way. Big story. But you can make them all the above. And, and, I, and at this point, also part of concept, you're going to say, I'm only going to run six game sessions and six game sessions. My story will be concluded, right? Cause it's not big. I'm only going to do one night in the city dealing with the Prince being usurped by the Nosferatu primogen and the coteries being used one way or the other for that. Right. Okay. That's, right. that's a concept. That's uh what a bit of a mystery uh, thriller. Yeah. Very well. Could be, you know, a whodunit sort of a thing. And, uh, you know, then they go on, you know, they, they explain these plot archetypes. I mean, these are very simple core concepts, but some of us have a tendency to miss them. <laughs> you know, we, we, Quite a bit. we jump in, you know, excitement being what it is, you jump in, I'm going to run this game. Uh, there's a badass Prince character that I got, and that's what I have. And then you start your game and things start to crumble because you don't, your players aren't understanding what you're trying to portray, what you're trying to get across. And it brings us to things like theme and mood. You know, what is the mood of your game? If you are playing a vampire game and you're like, I'm going to do, it's going to be a happy go lucky game. You know, I'm just going to bounce off the walls. Hang on a second. Does that fit the concept you established? Right. Like if you're, you should be writing this down. Honestly, if you're for the first time listening and you've never done this before, you just kind of jumped into a storytelling game. I encourage you, 
hearing this podcast, try this out. Go, I have a concept of a game. Now, is it a mystery, a romance, a thriller, or adventure? Right. Any story you have is going to have elements of all of them or really be specialized in one of them and write that down. Then when you move to the plot arts type, you know, you're still keeping in mind that, that story base and concept. And then when you get to theme and mood, this is where you have to look at everything you wrote down before. Does my happy-go-lucky fit a concept of a thriller? Right. And also, I think it bears noting, and uh, I believe they'll touch on it later on in this in this chapter, that all the work that you do, you have to bear in mind that your players are the actors in your play and you don't have a script. Right. So all you can do is you can create this world and kind of have an understanding of how the world will react to the things that they do. How will the things that they do affect this story? Because one thing that's a very easy mistake for new storytellers to make is to sort of shove players into a story that, that they want to tell regard you know disregarding the player's actual desires as individuals if you if you remember dungeons and dragons if you've played they call that the plot hammer where no matter what you do you can't kill a storyteller character you can't thwart them you can't ignore it <laughs> yes you can't you know there's a whole world but really he only defined this building yeah sometimes as a as a storyteller you have to be kind of a george R. R. martin there are going to be great characters that you're going to make that you're going to spend days and days plotting out, you know, figuring out every little nuance of them. And the players may just not give a shit or that, you know, it, they may get, end up getting killed. You know, these are things that can happen to to add on to, to your great analogy there about this being Game of Thrones. I want you to imagine Game of Thrones is written. The entire world was written with all the families put in and all the content. They hired the actors and they said, here's your character. Here's, here's the basis of what you want you want to accomplish in your castle or your land, but we're not telling you what to say. Right. But stay in character. And by the way, you're recorded live. <laughs> right. And now imagine what that might turn out. And in my opinion, you can look at Game of Thrones and I can argue how that was done. <laughs> right. You had dynamic actors right, and right, you couldn't exactly. predict who was going to die or what they were going to do. And that's just where they went. But, you know, obviously the editors were paid a fuck ton <laughs> to make that look that great. But the fact is... Who's to say that didn't happen? You know what I mean? And and but I want you to imagine that analogy when you start when you start in your head hearing what we're talking about. Right. Um, they go on and they talk about um, you know all the little things that you need troubleshooting, um, you know ending your story, the different types of endings that you can have, you know sewing up your loose ends, and these are all things that uh, for a first time storyteller or even an experienced storyteller who who wants to sort of refresh, these are all great. Uh, you know, concepts and ideas for helping you iron out your story. Because at the end of the day, your goal is to entertain the players that are playing in your game. This is a storyteller's book. And as a storyteller, you take on that responsibility. I'm going to provide hours of entertainment for these players who, would, who have invested in creating their characters and, and deciding to play in my story. And I want to give them the best possible experience, not only so they continue to come back, but, you know, to prove that you can, you know, accomplish this task. Absolutely. Um, then I go into troop style play and, uh, you know, we all play in a troop, essentially, you know, we all have a group of friends or uh, whatnot. Here's um, the thing though. We got a, a thing here. I think I missed a chunk. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, but that, no, it's no big deal. Uh, when it talks about stuff like, uh, when you're creating a story, oh, yeah, yeah. It gets in the setting. We mm -hmm. talked on that. Yeah. Actually, actually we mentioned it, but, uh, right. setting is going to be 
is this in a city? Is this in the woods? Yeah, yeah. Where's you know where is it going to be? Well, and your setting is is as important, if not more important, than all the other stuff. And pardon me for jumping ahead because no. uh, I definitely wanted to talk on that. But uh, you know they they discuss it a little bit in like Chicago by night, like the city or the place where your game is set right. is going to you know go a really long way to establishing the mood of your game because it's the imagination, right? It's the paint. It's the painted. It's unsung truth that in any movie, while you're watching a movie instead of listening to it on the radio, is because all the nuance. And a setting is that nuance. It just look beautiful. Is it a gothic city background? Is it, you know, is it anything? Is it a beautiful right. orchard that they're standing in, even though you're focused on the characters, your mind is still seeing the full picture. Right. Is it is it a dark, decaying, urban wasteland uh, like a Gary, Indiana, or a Detroit? Like, what... What about that is going to help to form the personalities of the characters that are playing in it, the characters that you create? As I heard it said recently, remember, art is to elicit emotion. That's the point. It's a type of emotion. Like, they're going to make you feel some type of way when you see it. That's why we visually have movies, and they're so successful. So your setting, when you're verbalizing what your setting is, you know, some people here, it's okay to use you know, whatever props you want. Right. If you, if you want to say your setting is the dark ages and we're in a medieval castle, but you want to have like an old medieval sword, which damn near every gamer has somewhere in his place. And you want to mount on the wall so people can always visualize type of area you're in and what that world was like. Or you want to make gruel for people to actually have at game here. Try this gruel. Right, I definitely. Made. This all helps that setting hammer at home without, you know, you need to draw a picture or nothing like that. Right. Because the setting will help flavor your main plot. Now, we mentioned before the plot hammer. Now, the main plot is you wrote a story where, well, just like we said, the prince is going to be thwarted by, is going to be usurped by the Nosferatu Primogen. The players are going to be involved either trying to help the prince or to damn the prince with the Nosferatu. Right, or just trying to stay out of the way. Right. But what happens when the players go, I don't care about that, and they walk walk away from your main plot? Right. you got to be prepared for that. So... The rule of thumb is, and it even mentions this in here, your main plot has to be open-ended. Yes, definitely. Very much so. Don't give it a start and finish. Well, give it a start and finish if they start going to it. That's okay. The trick, a real storyteller is going to make it seem that the, the path the players choose was the path all along. They'll do it on their own. Right, absolutely. And that's you're doing your job if you can do that. But the goal is, when you look at your notes, and they're nowhere near on the reservation, there's no greater feeling than to hear them, oh, man, you did a great job planning that game. You know, that was awesome, man. You took it to places I didn't think it'd go. And, you know, you just smile and nod because you've done your job. Right. You've done your job. That's right. that's what it did. And it, that's that's one of those things that, you know, goes along with, with setting, how setting really will impact this as well. To use your example, the Nosferatu, Primogen, the Prince, well, the players are not interested. They got right. other shit they want to do. They want to go play skee-ball or hang out at the goth club. Well, how does the prince and the Nosferatu primogens clash affect the entire city around them? Right. Without ironing out that setting, how are you going to know? And that's where we get into subplots. Right. You can try to plan for the different ways that could spitball or to talk about how does that war affect. And you could say, cool, they're, they're gambling or chilling or ski ball or whatever they want to do. They're having fun in the town. What if there's a curfew for vampires all of a sudden? The sheriff says if you're caught outdoors past 10 right. and you're in the rack feeding where the prince says it's okay to feed, the, he's going to stake you and you're going to go before the prince for right. violating an edict. Well, damn, we've been playing skee-ball. Here comes the sheriff. Here comes the brawl. 
Right. You know, and why? There's been an edict made. You will obey it. Right. One way or the other. And that's a way to tie them back to the plot that you could plan for. Absolutely. Absolutely. And subplots can also be, okay, the sheriff decides that he's going to screw them over, both over. And they could stumble upon that. Or what if it had nothing to do with that? What if there's a police investigation on something that happened a decade ago and one of your players looks like they took the wrong flaw and they look like one of the supposed uh, supposed victims that were allegedly killed 10 years ago? That's a masquerade issue that you couldn't have prepared for. And that coterie may hyper-focus on that very fact. And that could change their focus as characters that has nothing to do with the main plot. Yeah, right. Exactly. Exactly. So there's there's all kinds of little tricks and tools and things that you can use to really make your game seem like it's a living, breathing entity. And that's really what you want to accomplish. And now when I go to story structure, we'll do this really fast. Story structure here, if you've had any writing one-on-one class, even if you haven't, you get that there is a beginning, there's a buildup. A slow build, technically. I, I never like using a speed reference to a build. Building too. And then you have, you know, the rumors and, you know, what everybody else is doing based on that story. I like to simplify this and just say your story structure should be your main plot, subplots involved, and then where the players start at, they'll take care of the crescendo and the build and all that all on their own. Right. The pages and rumors you're going to fill in, that's the rest of the world that Nate just talked about, and you're done. That's right. actually your story. You're done with that. Right. Once you do it, you really don't even have to define a lot of that. But if it's if you're comfortable. If you're not comfortable, define it. You're right. going to need to define it because you want to see what that's supposed to look like because you're trying to get that whole beginning down to get to the middle. And the middle should be, all right, the prince, the Nostradamus plotting, plotting on the prince. They had the Nostradamus prim just to wine and dine the players. Help them out a little bit, get some info, try to get a deal, or try to screw them over and get them in his pocket to then, and then by the way, if he's successful either way, we're now at the middle. Or the players flip, and they decide to tell the prince what the Nostradamus Primogen's trying to do, and the prince does some type of way. Well, that still goes from the beginning, now they're hooked and involved, and you bring them to the middle. Right. And the middle's basically, no matter what they choose to do, where do you go from here? Yeah, it's like the meat of your story. I mean, it's, you know, it's obvious in, in so far as it's called the middle. It's the meat of your story. It's it's your, you know, every week or every other night game sessions where you're motivate you're you're essentially going forward with the plot. You're you're doing the main things that are gonna forward the plot to the eventual end. And this is what calls it the middle's troubleshooting. Whatever has happened, what the hell are we gonna do about it? Right. And that's the stuff you cannot plan for ever as a storyteller. And you got to see where that goes. And thankfully, you get usually a week to week to deal with your game right. or a month to month. I don't know, I don't know if you can tell, but uh, what it's establishing here is prep work. Right. <laughs> as a storyteller, when you decide to take on this monumental and often thankless task, you do have to prep. I don't care who you are. I'm notoriously nailed as the, the quintessential best vampire player from here to Indiana and back. Uh, storyteller and i will i wear that mantle it's not one of arrogance i've been told by enough people where i'm like cool at least these 300 people say i'm that cool for them i can entertain them and what i've learned they believe i plot day and night that i come over these books every time i come home that they're the first thing i pick up and the last thing and i got notes upon notes upon notebooks of going on here's a tip i do not i do not at all i take the night before game 
and I overlooked the notes I took at game because I got a life too, right? Right. And look at the notes before game. I dedicate an hour or two to where I'm going to go with that just a little bit, right. just where I intend to go. Because if I've already fleshed out the world, I already know how the players are going to affect with their actions, or at least I have an idea of what I want to happen. Right. But I, but even that little bit of work, I've already planned for the next night of gaming. Right. And we can have at it. That's rinse, repeat any game. And you get to look like one of the greats. When people think you spent all kinds of countless time and figuring out what they're really doing is patting you on the back because they don't want to read. <laughs> they don't want to read. They don't want to try to understand where you came up with this stuff, where it comes from, where Inspirato hit you. They, they just want to enjoy the right. game. They want to be entertained. And, and don't think for one moment that this is to, uh, you know, imply that as a, a first-time storyteller or a novice storyteller, if you will, that you have to come out swinging with, you know, uh, some grand story. You know, we're not no, – no one is going to expect Citizen Kane out of you. That's a great idea. I always like this fact. If you're a beginning story – I sometimes do this just because I enjoy the basics – rewind all the way back to what a vampire is go back to that podcast where we talked about the player's guide actually go back further we talked about the first vampire book and they're laying seeds on what a vampire is and its actual makeup and how it hyper focuses on feeding and then your plot should be about the players and feeding right that's you definitely create a very intimate game your whole game is that and then night week to week you're just going a feeding went bad or when good, what effects does, it have, does that have in the vampire community? Here's a fun fact. Nobody playing vampire is a vampire. <laughs> right. But you'll have players who think they made a vampire who definitely is one. And they know what he would do in a situation. But it's kind of funny where they take it. I always watch players panic. And it doesn't matter how good they are. Somewhere, they're going to leave a crumb or something. That your NPCs are going to be like, eh, I thought you covered this up. Why am I finding a body in a dumpster? What? Right, right, right. Oh, I forgot about that cop that stumbled upon us when we had that bad feeding in a park and I had to put him somewhere. Great. Right. And it goes and goes and goes. But that's a basic story. Yeah, you, very, very simple, very simple pro- uh, process. But again, you know, don't don't think you have, oh, my God, this is so overwhelming. There's so many different elements I have to. No, these are all tools to help guide you. But. That nothing here is ironclad it's your job to tell a story and to entertain oh that's why i love the, i love this book because i actually use this book the way it was line, outlined i'm a student of what white wolf went to and how to tell a story they're right they're spot on they're so spot on i do this naturally as, as a truth this is a skill set i've had that i got from constantly doing it and where it started is a notebook you bet your ass i went through every section of this and wrote out what they said i should do but, you know, they tell you, like, we just talked about what's your concept. Oh, man, what's my concept? And I would write on my little sheet of paper, you know, okay, concept underneath that. What is that? And then I went on down to the middle, the troubleshooting, and then to the end, right? And then you learn that the end is never the end because you have an aftermath. Mm-hmm. Where does this lead to? Where does this go? And the aftermath could be to be continued because you're done. I want right. to outline this as a storyteller. This book will tell you that your story never ends. You should always be looking towards the next story. They're right. Your brain will naturally go there because you can think of a lot of ways this can go. But take stock internally of your ability to provide the energy. If you feel, you know what? I've entertained. Now I want to be entertained. I want to be a player in someone else's story. 
this that's the time to let your troop know right, right. when it winds up when it ends you know and then even gives you an example about rewards right this is what i want in the in the summary it's kind of written backwards they try to start talking about experience and incentives uh that should be in your game <laughs> pardon me uh, in your game and uh really they should do that at the end that's that should, i'm not saying like experience they mention experience because they tie in that D D reference right your guys should have an experience at your game and do you give growth immediately like they talk about in this book if somebody makes a roll a really hard roll you could reward them right then and you can give them a dot in the skill they did good in or some experience for it or even just wait to the end and give them a bulk amount and it's it's really a tough call because it depends on your style i've done every way in shape and fashion i've done the here's your bulk of xp at the end of game which a lot of players are used to in any game it's almost universal and then they they build the character they want you know usually a combat monster some crazy shit like that um but that really doesn't have the flavor then there's a method where you tell them to put a little hash mark or a check mark near a successful skill they made you know, that wasn't common. Like I gave a difficulty eight on a skill one to 10 and you knocked it out the park, put a check mark. Cause now you can put experience into it and boost it up. Right. Which you're at the mercy of the dice at that point. And, and the argument is if I only did one die roll ever with that skill, now that's the only skill I can boost. It's kind of, <laughs> kind of ridiculous. However, the answer to this, there isn't an answer. It's you as a storyteller. Do you care? I do the, I don't give a damn method. Here's a bulk of XP, but whatever my players are buying, they have to make it make sense to me. Right. I am that meticulous. I will tell them, that's fantastic. You made one roll ever using your ability in law that you have two dots in, which means you've been to law school, and one time you sorted out your taxes. <laughs> but hey, it was a difficulty six roll out of one through ten, and you had eight dice for it because you built your character for it, and you had five successes, and you're like... So now I'm as good as my teacher was in college, right? No, <laughs> no, I don't feel you are at all. And I don't think that you sorting out your taxes was anywhere near a difficult task for you to accomplish or learn something from it. So no, not there. Right. However, I am a fan of that. You were, you're an artist. You built a Torador. You're a neonate and you said the wrong thing in a bar to the sheriff and the sheriff beat the fuck out of you. Like literally whittled you down in your torpor or in a torpor state, if you've been paying attention, you know what torpor is. If you don't know, vampires don't die by normal means. It's very hard to kill them. But you can have every bone broken in your body to where you can't move, and you're a mewling, crying, bloody mess. That state is referred to as torpor. You can't do anything to defend yourself. Um, you just pass out. You're unconscious. You're, you're but, like in vampire coma. Right. You can be killed. And then that very same night, to keep up with what I was saying, the very same night, you somehow get healed from it and awoken and whatever. I'm going to be the story to tell you, hey, you can buy a dot of fortitude and increase your stamina if you like. <laughs> You've been to the distance and came back. That's fair. And that's two extreme examples, right? One very easy, one very extreme. Bottom line, whatever you're going to do, they're referring to the experiences, what they're going to get out of it, what's the incentive for them being in your chronicle, what, what are they going to do moment to moment. Next one they roll into is knowledge. Well, Knowledge is not a reference like what what do your players know or what do you know? As much as it is to the incentive, remember, what are they going to get from it? What's what are they required to know as a troop, as a collective, to to be in your story? And this is where you kind of go, well, what type of players do I want in my game? What it's, what's going to thrive in the story I made? And then we have another one where they talk about uh, favor. 
favors the first ever mention of what we know today as being boons or a boon system. Because as a reward, I'm a vampire. That vampire prince decides to listen to the players who are warning him about the primogen. And he says, later on, that, that endeavor you were going for, you guys wanted to open a club in my city. And right now it's on the outskirts. You're waiting to get permits for it. Instead of you going through that cancel the permits, I'm going to give you my club. It's one of my three. It's not my most popular, but it's the second most. Do what you do. Here's the caveat. If it becomes really successful, you're going to manage my other clubs. That's a huge favor. That means the prince has literally said, I endorse you, I endorse your idea and your future endeavors, but he attached the hook to make sense, right? Says, I still gain from this, but as long as you stay good, you're in my ear, you're in my inner circle. That's huge. That in and of itself is without you having to give a magical broadsword. They don't have to get Excalibur for being your story, nor do they have to get a bucket of XP to improve them. You can improve their social standing. Right. And that's a reward unto itself. So I think uh, the next thing that they move on to is uh, they, they explain troop style play. And uh, I don't want to spend a lot of time on this. Troop style play is essentially where your your players make a bunch of different characters. And, all you know, uh, like one thing that you talk about clan spread is they talk about having your players make a character of every clan. Uh, I think that this is a more advanced scenario. And if it works for your game, uh, your game group, go ahead and do it. Um, but you can read this. It's not something I want to dwell on for very long. Real uh, quick, I've never done it. Have you? Uh, n- well, here, here's a little... Incorrectly, you kind of are doing it right now. But I've never done it. No, no, I've never played in a game like that. Um, I, I don't really care for... Uh, I don't even like really the concept, but whatever. You know, if it works for you, go ahead and do it. Uh, again, the next thing uh, that they talk about is live action. And uh, if you have never played live action... There's a whole series of books you can go purchase. This is not super important. This will tell you, you know, just some of the basic foundations of playing this game in live action. But again, there is a whole series of books. In and fact, we will get to them. In fact, I would say probably half of you have already, were probably introduced to this game because of the live action. Uh, it was very popular for a very long time. Funny enough, White Wolf didn't expect the little, think about it. In this book, it's two pages. Yeah. The dimensions live action. And from this book, people started LARPing. Yeah. Just went out and started doing it. And here's why. In the Chicagoland area in Milwaukee, there's a big goth scene at this point when this book is out there. In 92, yeah. They're very much into it. And someone got this book and read this page and knew, wait a minute, I could be the goth character. I tell. If you don't know the goth scene, it was very big for people not to use their name. They would make a name. Because they made themselves into something else. Well, and this this game definitely, it is a modern day game. It lends perfectly to a live action sort of gameplay. My name's Lucretia. <laughs> Aren't you Peggy? Peggy Downer? Could you stay in over game, at Jewel? Could you stay sorry. in game, please? I'm, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> By the way, I'm not in game. That would be at a goth club. Right. I'm here to get some tail and maybe a drink, and I got to call you Lucretia and play to that ego to get anywhere near home base. Look, let's just put it this way. It can be a very fun way to play this game if you have the right gaming group, Um, but it also has its own set of annoyances, its own set of problems. And I'll Uh, give it. If it wasn't for Lucretia, we probably wouldn't have had a successful ARP. Oh, absolutely. Um, You know, the the, the live action role play is where I, I, I found this game really. Because when I first got the Vampire the Masquerade book, I just was like, I'm one dude, and I don't know anybody that plays this game. 
And then when I found other people that played this game, they played it in a really weird way that I'd never seen before. And that basically introduced me to uh, a great number of people. Now, this was a long time ago. I don't know how popular the live action uh, aspects of this game are now. Uh, we still occasionally dabble in our, <laughs> our local gaming groups. But um, yeah, it, anyways, two pages here to describe that. Go pick up one of the live action books and, and read away. We got to struggle to get out of the live action section. We're pros. God, are we pros? And that's a whole other library we're going to get to. Yeah. Yeah, at some point we will definitely spend a great deal of time talking about that. Because we have a lot to talk about in that. Um, uh, Vampire Story Worksheet. Simply put, they have a sheet in here where you can put all that information down without you having to get a notebook. Moving on. Um, they talk about the Chronicle. Now, we talked about the story, the setting, all that. But what we haven't talked about is the Chronicle. What the Chronicle is, is when you're talking about a story, you're talking about a time, a period of time. Not netizen is it the 1800s, the modern day period of time, meaning is this just Friday night? Right. Is my story just Friday night at Elysium or is it a week? Right. Worthwhile. And that's it. But that's not your whole chronicle. Right. Your whole chronicle is going to be, all right, the primogen of the Nosferatu clan hates the prince and wants to usurp the prince. We're going to do that over a week. Right. Because it's come to a head. But the chronicle would be this Methuselah woke up in the city of Chicago and is warring for control over the city versus its rival, another Methuselah. Right. And both these ancients will never be encountered, will never be seen, but over a series of stories, you as the storyteller right. are going to have the players play through that. Right. Think of it like a TV show. Your chronicle is going to be the the long form of your television show. You know, go watch the blacklist and and you know yep. the interaction with those characters. Every episode, there's a story, and that story is those those stories, those individual stories, whatever they might be that week, are in, are are growing the chronicle. They're moving the chronicle forward to whatever the end of that will be. Exactly. You know, and you can watch like a, a show like Supernatural. Who knows when their chronicle is going to end? They've had 11 seasons worth of stories. It could be argued they had 11 chronicles right. because there's a different flavor right. to every season. Like the characters, a lot of them are in there, but it goes different directions, right? Yeah. Every time your overall chronicle takes a different direction, count that as a season to keep with the TV show. Right, I exactly. really like that. And so because new writers, hey, who takes over? By the way, that's another caveat to mention. It's expected that if you're playing a vampire troupe, you know, your five friends or for us are 13, you know, whoever plays consistently with you for the story till they go, okay, guys, my story in this chronicle is done. Anybody else have an idea for the story and they want to step up as storyteller and tell it. Right. And then you go to your character that you made for that same chronicle, you know, using the same rules the other players have, they, they will tell you what an NPC is. We're about to get into that. But the whole aspect is, is that you don't get burnt out and you still have fun and everybody's having fun enjoying the game they love. Right. And, uh, and, and they go on in, in this chapter to give you, just like they did in the story, give you all kinds of different tools uh, of how you can, you can touch you know, different aspects of your chronicle, uh, whether you, know, you do a flashback or you know, all kinds of really great tools. I mean, of course, you're going to want to read through these you know, for yourself. Um, but I, I thought it was a really great idea what you were talking about. Like, you can have a chronicle. And you can swap out storytellers because they're all sort of feeding into the story. Um, yep. you know, it's totally something that you can do or not do. You know, these are all just interesting options that you can you can choose to 
put into your chronicle. Here's something you're going to read, and it's the two rules of a story tell I want you to remember. Number one, if you are not having fun, your players aren't having fun. No. I'm going to state that because you're going to be, as a storyteller, you lose sight of who you are. And first and foremost, you're an entertainer. You're an entertainer for yourself. You're an entertainer for the troop as in your players and you. And if you, you're not having fun telling the story, call it a day. Right, exactly. Don't feel obligated to do any of this. Now, I'm also going to add this. Why would you agree to storytell if suddenly you're not going to have fun <laughs> telling the story you want to tell? Right. That's always been weird to me. As a storyteller, I've never been like, hey, guys, I'm really not having fun anymore. I want to step down, blah, blah, blah. That's bullshit. You're having fun telling your story. What about what the players are doing? And it's okay to do this, to pause the game and go, okay, guys, I'm noticing this. I'm noticing that. Is there something I need to change? What's going on? Why are you infighting? What drama do you have out of game? Are you bringing into my game that, that's ruining it? It's okay to have those discussions. You're, you all should be mature and do that. That's another bag of wax. I don't want to get into it. I'm certain you understand what it means. If we're all playing with toys in the same sandbox, let's not get shitty that Mikey keeps kicking sand in my right. bucket. You know what I mean? We well, can talk it out and fix that shit. But if it's a case of you've been running the Chronicle for two months now and you're running out of ideas, you're just gassed out and you don't have anything and it looks like everybody's bored, throw in the towel. Throw in the towel and shake it up a little bit and get right. a little difference going. And, and at, the, at the end of the day, I think it's important to remember, like, you know, you're you're doing this sort of as charity work. You're putting in a lot of effort to entertain your friends or, you know, your gaming group. Hopefully they're your friends. But <laughs> at the end of the day, in most circumstances, no one's paying you for this. Now, if people are paying you, I, I don't know what sort of uh, system you've got set up. But if you're getting paid, you certainly have a responsibility. Get to work. Nate has thick skin, so I'm gonna I'm gonna soften that a little bit. I've never liked the phrase he just used, but I understand that it were it, it resonates with some people because you get a chip on your shoulder. Hey, you're not paying me. He's not saying no. I don't mean because you like because you're not getting paid to get indignant every time it doesn't go your way. Right. What he's saying is keep in mind if you're getting stressed, it shouldn't stress you, and if you're getting stressed out step away right exactly yeah pardon pardon my lack of articulation but i didn't mean it like that definitely you know this is something you're doing for fun this is a hobby it's not something that you should feel like you you have to go to work like oh i gotta put on the storyteller uniform again Ugh. but he is right if you're making 20 bucks a head and that's your night you should have damn well been spending time right to make sure this is ironed out right if you've somehow convinced people to pay you for your services which i don't know how you did that and it's it's all it's not hard i can tell you how <laughs> well you shouldn't even be listening to this podcast you should have it all under control <laughs> and maybe you should listen just to go good i do have it right you know what i mean because honestly this will arm you to have knockout chronicles what we talked about already but the fact is people will pay you for your entertainment that's truth, right? There's nothing wrong with you taking money to run a game. It is wrong for you to sell white wolf books <laughs> ad hoc earning a profit off their property. Right. But it but it is okay for you to tell your story using that format because they've already been paid at that point. Because you know, it's your time. Right. No, and, I, I, and, and, I, and and I think if you're running for strangers, get paid. Oh, absolutely. I mean, in circumstances where, you know, not to spend too much time touching base on live action again, but if you're running a game and there's a hundred people there that's a whole different logistical setup. You're going to need a location. You're going to need things. So I can understand charging. Most of the time in, in situations where like we've played in large games, 
most of those games weren't running at a profit. Most of those games were just running to maintain, not taking money out of their own pockets. The right. players were were essentially buying into the event, buying into the location, buying into the snacks for, you know, the, you know, you're, when you're playing till two o'clock in the morning, people going to get hungry. People going to get thirsty. And it's a community. You'll find that if your game's free and you do that as a storyteller, your reward, you'll never be thirsty. Right. You'll never be hungry. Right. People will take care of you. I can't tell you how many games I've ran where I'm pretty positive. Live gaming period put a good me storytelling a good 30 pounds onto my frame <laughs> just from, Hey Bob, here's a, I brought these cheese and crap. Here's this soda. I bought, Hey, you thirsty. I got you on break. I'm going to take a break. I'm around, get a drink happens all the time. And I, and I like that because as human beings, especially adults, you want to reward someone for a good game right. for entertaining you. And that's a privilege. It's a perk. I think it's a sign that your game isn't good when you're not offered at least a drink. <laughs> I really do. If, if if someone's at a game I'm at and I don't get offered something, what the fuck am I doing wrong? Right. You know, and that's that. But we've we're off the rails. Yeah, we're, no, we're we're definitely off the rails, and we need to speed it up. We need so to, we need to move forward a little bit. I'm gonna rewind this back to one part though. Uh, there was the second rule. I want to finish that because they're yeah. they're the golden most important rules you'll ever have in storytelling. The second rule is you're not in control. No, no. Two many people think. It's my way or the highway. I'm God here. I'm the dungeon master. I will smoke thee. Do what I say. Fuck those guys. If you're in a game right now hearing this and someone's that way, leave. Right. You need to re reassess your, your entertainment. I've dealt with those people. They're, they suck. They're shitty in their soul. They're just looking to ruin. They're looking to have you stroke their ego because in life, they, they don't have that. They're getting stomped on in some type of way, and they're using you to prop them up. Eliminate that. And I want to say one thing, though, just before we move on, that is along those same lines. That's not just a storyteller-related issue. If you have someone in your game, a player, if you are this player that says, well, I'm here for fun, so I can do whatever I want, that person needs to, they need to be sat down and had a talking to because just because your your form of fun is some weird sadism and it involves fucking up other people's good time, that doesn't mean you should be accepted just because you're there to have a good time. I agree. It's a good point. That controlling aspect, that's that's a golden rule for the right, game. Right. You're a troop. Right. You're a player who's currently storytelling. Yeah. And and if you've been gaming a long period of time, we all know a storyteller like that or a dungeon master like that and a player like that. Or or our favorite combo, the storyteller and the storyteller's girlfriend. <laughs> or boyfriend, vice versa. God, dude. It's even I've I've seen even worse when it's the boyfriend. Like he I don't know why. Bottom line, they'll always be the ones whose characters nothing ever bad happens to. Every day's a Sunday right. and it all revolves right. around them. It's you know, it could be just time to reassess your position and find some new gaming. Exactly. Uh, gaming or just companions. tell them that and a lot of times just tell them that's what's going on. And either deal with it or break it up. Just, right. just get not them, but you know that situation. Right. All right. Um, Handling up. time. Right. <laughs> Which very we're funny. very poor at right now. Very funny. <laughs> Handling time. Um, honestly, it's just telling you how to handle the aspects of if you're going to tell a Dark Ages game, and because it's the title that they give you, Sleeping right. Beauties. It's how do we handle downtime? Vampires can enter a state of torpor willingly to sleep the ages. You know, they feel the weight of immortality, you know, all that stuff. And they're looking to get to a time where it's not as difficult or where all their... I think the coolest method... Imagine Dracula when his wife died. He lived on. He's this thing. 
God hates him, and somehow he has to survive with himself. He's going to have to take that weight of endless feeding. You know, he, someone has to die for him to live, and he has to keep doing it. And it's his own people, but everybody, he's know, everybody he knows at a point, they're gone. They're dead and gone. He'll never see them again. You know, one can successfully say the life he was when he was alive has bled away to nothing but dust. How does he live with that? Who is he now? Well, you know, and a, and a lot of that, he's going to be sitting in his dark castle brooding over this very fact, you know. And to me, Dracula's a romance character when, he, when it comes to that. It's like, poor Dracula's all alone, and he doesn't feel he has anybody. And there are so many girls that gravitate to that wounded, gothic stud, powerful, and his, you know, I can take care of him, I can mold him, I'll give him a reason to live, that are going to overlook the fact that this monster has to go to town and someone's got to die to keep him going. But when you think about Dracula and you think about being a vampire and the weight of feeding and that his whole life is only blood, he's actually in a chrysalis, right? He's going through a period where he has to take the torpid sleep to make sense of what he is now. And who is he going to become when he comes out of the soil? And that's a hard concept for anyone to wrap their brain around never have reading, reading this book. How do I tell a tale? where you go from being a neonate who was just embraced a week ago to a century later. What's a hundred years like? Especially when you get into stuff like the Industrial Revolution, uh, the Renaissance times. We had gigantic booms of culture and industry. How, was that, how would it affect somebody from Romania circa 1726 to be in 2016 or 2017, excuse me? You know, running water doesn't kill you. Fuck, you have running water. It's, it's, you know what I mean? Right. Now be a vampire who is frozen in time. You were frozen in 1726. You understand what it is to have to go out and kill to get a meal, but you don't understand going to the grocery store with a fucking chip card and that somehow pays for it magically. Right. You don't need your sack of gold coins there, Vlad. It's a weird thing. And and, and I think that, uh, um, you know, we can make another comparison to film. Um, You know, if you you watch uh, Interview with a Vampire, they do a very good job in that movie of showing, you know, (coughs) of showing how characters essentially frozen in time as vampires move forward through the ages. Now, you can say what you want about some of the later movies. That's neither here nor there. But that particular film shows a very good... um, very good story of I of think they, they both do. Forward. Now I think about it. Queen of the Dam did good when Brad Pitt reencounters Louis uh, in the modern times with the helicopter right. and him thinking the sun, and he had taken him to the theater to show, hey, here's sunlight, you're good. Right. That you're right, that's awesome. But they hold that thing when the Queen and Queen of the Dam. I actually never saw Queen of the Damned. And Queen of the Dam, Aaliyah does an amazing job of when she was around, everyone took a knee. Right. She was the queen of the fucking Nile. No one stared her in the face. And you were food. You were her fucking play toy. Right. So when she comes around centuries later and she has Lestat, who's arrogant and everywhere, she thinks he's a better choice than the king she even had. And she decides to take him. That movie is two inspirational movies that White Wolf quotes to watch to kind of get to that theme of the ages because she's a fucking problem in the modern era. You can't take 50 people and drain them dry and leave them in the street. Thinking no, someone's going to no, pick it up. Definitely cannot. We got a military. They will come for you. You know, this, this right. is an issue. But all of this is in the section of, you know, 
Sleeping Beauty, he, Handling Time, Sleeping Beauties, Back to the Future. Right. They're all how to handle that and ideas of how to do it and still keep it relative to what your theme and mood is for your chronicle. Right. Uh, and then from there, uh, you know, they, they go into like downtime. These are all things that uh, will be great for you. Uh, to sort of organize your players and, and, you know, dealing with your passage of time, you know, dealing with the the nuances of the game. What is downtime? So downtime would be things that happen in between games. And that's really, a, a, that's, that's a part of a debate on how you run your game. There are some storytellers that your game ends that night and it picks up immediately where it left off. So there's never any downtime. I like to think, I still remember the conversation I had with Nate a long time ago. Uh, me and Nate met when I was his storyteller. He was my player, and he was one of my best players. And he would always write these very elaborate downtimes of what his character's doing. He was actually writing the story for his character. That's how I always see it. I see a game as 50%. 50% you as the storyteller, 50% as the player. Because the play, your world is about that player, but if they're giving you nothing about what their player's doing in that world, you don't know how it affects them, what they want to do, or what their goals are. So a downtime should be when that player is submitting to you like anything they want, really. They could submit to you a, a letter, a diary they keep, a letter they're writing to a mentor, a loved one, um, what they're trying to do to influence the police in their area or to get police influence in the area, how they want to control the media. All these things are downtime actions where your players are trying to affect the story in between game sessions. Right. They're they're continuing sort of the what what does what does my character do in his daily life and these are things that we're not necessarily going to see you know every episode they're not there's not going to be an episode uh, you know about uh you know sam and dean winchester uh <laughs> you know talking to other hunters unless it's immediately imperative to the the story that you're telling we don't see every time dean winchester wants to get some strange right we do not see that but you definitely know he does right. just about every every time absolutely and, and that's that's what things like downtime are for. They're things that, that you don't need to take up the time of your gaming troops night exploring, you know, my individual interpretation of this poem and how I interact with my sire about it. Exactly. You know, those are things that can be handled between the storyteller and the player in downtime so that you can focus on the, the progression of the story during gameplay. And, uh, you know, it, it goes on about all your backgrounds, things things that... When you create your character, when you have a relationship with your contacts, when you have these allies that you've 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 acquired throughout your travels, the rest of the players don't necessarily need to be privy to that. And that's what downtime is for. And now if you've been paying attention in this summary, we went through a here's what we're gonna go over. Now now we're in the meat and potatoes. That's what we've been breaking down. Now we're at to the theme of right. either your story or your chronicle. Here's the theme, right? Mm -hmm. Um a couple ones that are important because I, th I I'm going to go through the ones I enjoy. I like a theme of the beast. What this refers to is that the vampires are monsters first and foremost. Mm -hmm. I don't care about Queen of the Damned. Interview with the vampire. You need to know they are not human anymore, and their only concern is blood. And they highlight that in the film. Look past who's playing the character, who's acting it out. Brad Pitt's a handsome dude. Skip over that. Look at the inhumanity of Lestat as he will feed on whoever, wherever, because it's blood. Right. And he does a wonderful scene where they take, he's trying to force Louis to sit in his couch in, in what looks like to be Louisiana. And it is Louisiana, looks like. But uh, they're up in there sitting down and they take a prostitute. And Lestat just rips open her wrist. You know, just, excuse me, cuts it open, hands it to Louis, tells him to taste her. 
No one's ever in a restaurant turned to you with the woman they brought in, slit her wrist, and handed it to you and said, hey, why don't you knock yourself out? (laughs) That's some monstrous shit. Right, right. That's monster stuff. Now, where that comes from, that's the beast that it refers to in White Wolf, and they do it awesome. That's what makes you a vampire. Why you have to feed inside you is a roiling monster never before seen in the flesh until now. And what that monster is, it's your subconscious, all the needs and wants of your id that has to thrive and live in you. And it wants to lash out and it can lash out to grab whatever it wants because it's the power right. behind your vampiric discipline, your, your powers. And it needs blood as much as you want blood. And that's the horrific aspect. You know, the beast theme is your, you would highlight stuff like your players have a, people they encounter have a scent. They may walk past a very hot woman on the street and sure, you may briefly mention she's comely. That's fine. She's a beautiful face, but more importantly, she smells spicy. You know, there's something about her. She's uh, she looks sweet and you're no, you don't mean in personality. The closer you get, you can hear her heartbeat. You can see a highlighted vein throbbing, and you're not even hungry. You just want a taste of it. That should horrify and shock your players, and it should make your frenzy scenes like when they actually have no choice. By the way, vampires frenzy, and it should be unpredictable. Yeah, it yeah, should that's, be. That's, it, a, that's a major aspect of the of the what you're playing in the setting situations of strong impulse, whether it's sexual impulse or anger, it should all thrive around blood which is what they are. And the beast theme highlights that. Yep. Uh, they also go into different things like intrigue, uh, nostalgia, romance, vengeance. These are all different themes that you can use to tell your tale. And, you know, we're not going to nope. go into it that much because the beast is kind of like the one that's unique in this. All the other ones are, are pretty much standard themes for any kind of book or TV show or movie. Good call. It's not specific to vampire. Right. The, the beast very much is specific to vampire. And, and you know, for sure, they, they do, you know, very brief descriptions of these. And it's great for this book when it came out. Uh, it, so, you know, read them over, but we don't need to go into them too much here. Uh, moving on to chapter three, the setting. Again, we don't need to go into it too much, but they're going to iron out for you all the different things that you can have within your city, where your game exists. And you, you know, can... Go ahead. I was going to add real quick to choosing a city. We're going to make this quick. Out of your curiosity, Nate, where would be the easiest city for you to tell a story about? Probably Chicago because I live in Chicago. That's it. Right. Anyone listening, wherever you've lived at is what you know the most. Where do you live? What do you know? Now, attach a world of darkness to it. Right. Imagine the city you're at has vampires. Where would they be? What would they control? Right. That's what this is saying. Do, Do you want to tell a story in small town Iowa? Well, what is small town Iowa like now? Well, take small town Iowa and put it in the world of darkness. What would that do to this small town city? Who would be there? You know, think of that. You have a giant city like Chicago, and White Wolf did a great job by basically creating a whole cheat sheet called Chicago by Night. But take that concept and put it in your own place that you live. Where, what do you know you, the storyteller, know the most about? Okay, well, now scale it. You know, if you live in a small suburb, how many vampires do you think are going to be there? How many vampires do you think that place could feasibly uh, feed? You know, what is that city like? What is that town like? And work it from there. And this is going to give you all those little, little, uh, little pieces to put in. 
for you to iron out the, your prince, your primogen, you, the the anarchs that I can't, reside I can't, around I can't it. Can't allow the rough shot over. I know mm-hmm. we're, we're timing here, but I, I just want to highlight when you look at the kindred, it is asking you: Is it a Camarilla city? Is it an anarch city? Is it going to be no specific right uh, political organization here? Because you're t- you know whatever fits your chronicle. But more importantly, if you choose to have a prince. That is the most important role you're going to have in your city because the prince is more or less the living embodiment of your setting. Right. He's also going to be part of your theme and mood. It just it just happens that way because I find it often that a storyteller creates a prince and it's a person who's running the show in the city. Right. It's almost a reflection of the storyteller in the chronicle. Right. It's it's not a mistake that it's uh, you know the term the prince of the city is sort of embedded into White Wolf. Think the prince of the city. This is a person who. Their very personality. The you way, belong to the city. <laughs> that 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 individual is going to be in large part responsible for the the crime in certain places or what places are held to a higher esteem. Uh, you know what kind of art you have in the city. What kind of uh, you know what kind of industry you have in the city. Is that he individual weak? is he controlling? Right. Is he free flowing? Is he on the outs? All this stuff is going to impact it. Or you flip the script and a player's the prince. Are you going to let that happen? All those things matter. The primogen, equally so. Right. This is the opposition to the prince. These are your elders who hold down all the other miscreants right. that your players may encounter. The Anarchs, eh. And if it's Anarch Chronicle, okay. I never, I mean, they have it in here in this book at this time because it's, it's, it makes sense. Every city is going to have the people who don't agree with the right. established quo. Sure, you should have them, but I find that they're the rabble. Right. I'm not referring to Bruja, although that's most common. They're the young near people who want the power but don't have it. Right. And and that's what it comes from. Well, and and we also have to take into a factor of the time. Yeah. That this book was made and how there was a great deal of social unrest. It, you know, in 1992, I mean, look at the stuff that was going on, that concept of like, you know, destroying the ruling class to, you know, gain your freedom or to, you know, fight the power. Actually, Trump's in office as we make this podcast. Yeah, my, you can relate. Yeah, right. It, it's definitely maybe we'll see a resurgence. But, you know, <laughs> like that, that take into account that that time period and, and what was going on then. You know, they talk about others. Uh, what are others? Others they refer to are, are you going to have other supernatural beings right. in your city? Which, you ha- which they'll, they'll touch on later on in, a, in so another we'll, chapter. So we'll put a footnote there right. to save time. But others refers to other supernaturals. Right. And you have things like the mayor, the police, the media. You know, uh, Think of uh, like Ghostbusters. What would Ghostbusters have been without the mayor that they put in that character? Someone can argue definitely that mayor was controlled. Right. In, but, in that movie right exactly so these are things that you know you want to iron out because how how does the the actual mortal politics work out you know the mayor uh we we just mentioned the police you know what kind of police do you have do you have aggressive uh you know don't care about human rights police do you have like you know well-groomed well-maintained police force <laughs> you know what what are those because those are going to be key factors and other things the fire department uh think- hello your vampires <laughs> right i think we get it we understand these they're here in right. the book they outline right. other things and you'll probably go farther right and by the way um others and other creatures you're gonna see other creatures as well i think other creatures where they mentioned that that's supernatural is the others relating to the titles above 
they're related title specific right primogen prince you're gonna have a sheriff you're gonna have a harpy yeah. you're gonna have elders that's what it's referring to apologize for that but basically it's who's all in the city is what this is going over right. if you need to break it down right and then at the end of course they include another worksheet right for, of course for you to help you know break it all down and and have a frame of reference uh then moving on to chapter four the motive now the motive right quick pretty much it's the motive for everything this is this is why things happen in the city and what's the point of them happening if you fleshed out your characters i'm gonna i'm gonna really make this simple because it's gonna in here it tells you civilization of vampires and the politics of scarcity world of abundance and a world of okay no i'm gonna simplify this if you have vampires, if you've chosen a political organization, Sabata Camarilla or Anarch, and who's controlling what, you've already done this step. You've already done it. It's just now it's telling you you can hyper put it under a microscope to see how it all is going to ebb and flow. You don't need to. If every NPC you've put in this world, you've fleshed out either in your head, you know, put jotted down their name. I'm not saying that they have stats, but jotted down their name and idea if they're an elder or not and what their point is to what they want to accomplish in your chronicle, you're done. Right. And you've done that. And if you've, and you're going to flesh out those big players we mentioned, the primogen, the prince, because you want to live right. in these roles. And we will definitely get to that. But uh, the point is, that's what this is referring to the motive of the city, of right. the whole chronicle. Right. And again, we can go back and we can reference Chicago by night. All of the things that they've included in here, they ironed all of that stuff out for you in their very first city book, Chicago by Night. And they didn't even call it that. Right. In fact, if you read if you read these in order of the podcast, when you read Chicago by Night and go to this book, you're going to go, aha. Right. You, a lot of aha see, moments. Right. Where where they, they put it into play, and now they're showing you how they put it into play. So it's very, very <clears throat> good on their part. Uh, they they uh they get down to um again more different uh plots and and you know how those plots interact with different goals of the players um and then you know debts boons all of that stuff here's where that favor gets defined right exactly and and you know they go into for the first time really how a boon system would work first time ever right um, um oh. you're yeah, yeah. The first instance of factions, right. the prince, the harpies, the elders, the clans, anarchs, mortal world, how those all interact to form what you have going on. And they'll they'll define them if you need them defined. Um, again, for a beginner, great to have them defined. For an advanced storyteller or, or, or lover of World of Darkness, you'll see these and understand. And it's good for a refresher. Are they worth reading? Honestly, they're all on one, two pages. Right. It's you get them. It's to give you an idea of what they mean. It's right. not to tell you exactly how it should be ran because you may run harpies completely different, and that's okay. Yep, absolutely. Your your city may have a completely different process for all this stuff, but it's good to understand and to know it. Um, and then, of course, moving on from there, uh, from the factions, they talk about um, different. Uh, oh, I would say different like uh, hooks. Like they don't really call they don't call them that, but. Like, these are, like, story hooks. To do them boldly, because there's really only three, but we'll do, um, do them big. Right. First one I talk about is Rebirth. Real quick, Rebirth is like a sire dies. How does it affect your players? The play, you know, the shield of that sire. Or maybe it's an NPC sire. How does that affect his place in the Chronicle now? Mm -hmm. uh, a character sacrifice, whether they sacrifice their loved ones, they, sac and they sacrifice their humanity, did a real bad frenzy, but now no longer think of it as bad. 
you know, give into their beast a little? Is it a character sacrifice that they killed themselves? Right. They on gave behalf? themselves up to save the other players in the game. How does that affect your chronicle? How do you still tell a story when it happens? Or how do you get that to happen to enhance your story? Then you got achieving Golconda and, you know, other means of, of hooking it in they'll go into but these are all rebirth ideas right this happened how do i resurge interest in it right and keep it going uh do you want to tackle golconda um not really <laughs> okay uh <laughs> what well, golconda is that that mystical uh place spiritually that um that legends have it vampires can achieve uh where you know you you no longer have to feed on blood or you have to feed on blood very rarely um this is something that uh you know is added early in this game you can walk in the sunlight now it's honestly golconda is that out right what's it's, it's like regaining human he, being being human again i would take it and i would crumble it up and throw it out the book yeah. i literally feel they put this in because people bitched that their favorite character after being in a chronicle for so long there has to be a state they can achieve to be out of this darkness yeah I, yeah I, it is it's called play dnd right I, I honestly the reason why i was like no i don't want to tackle this is because it's a great concept in theory for your vampire to try to achieve a great if, plot hook right. if you're an occult character right and you come across a passage that allows you to be immune to sunlight uh but i don't i don't think that the I'm I'm very much like there shouldn't be a white lining at the end, you know, there shouldn't be a silver lining to this cloud. It's called a vampiric curse. Right. It's it's uh Golconda's not a thing I really care about. If and let me help you out. If you're a vampire who can now go into sunlight, you don't have to feed on blood, and you're immortal, you're a Highlander. Because <laughs> the only thing that can kill you is having your head cut off now. Right. What is the freaking point? No, that's it, again not something I'm interested in. I understand why they introduced the idea, but I think it should be something that is really never attainable. Unless you're Duncan McLeod or the Klein McLeod, I feel like if you are running a chronicle and you have a player that's been playing the same character for ten years and they've worked diligently and you've put them through, you know, all the different mysteries of the world. All right, you could probably have Golconda. I mean, if we're gonna end the story. That's how you want to end it great. That being our opinion, if you need Golconda and you like that aspect and you want it in your game, here it is. Right. And then you can go into it. Right. Do what you do. Diablery, one of my favorite aspects of Vampire, and I think is telling. It says that it's the fear of the elders that they have of the young. It's that the young can rise up. And I've been around for eight centuries, and I just made Nate today a vampire. But Nate already knows he can steal that power if he drinks my soul. If he drinks all the blood that is in my body and keeps drinking and eradicates my spirit. Right. That he can gain the power of those 800 years, even though he's only been a vampire for a night. Yeah, it's, it's the diablerie is the unforgivable crime. Unforgivable. And as such, there are a lot of uh, there are a lot of different kind of plots that you can map around that concept. And early on, they refer to Diablo as infernal. Right. You're eating a soul. It's infernal Diablo. You're gaining power from, you know, the sacrifice of the soul and what can it mean it's from diabolical. There. It's diabolic. I mean, they hammer it off the bat that it is the worst thing you can. You are shitting in your soul. Right. If you I were... told you right now, Nate. That you can get back at your enemy and there's a worse thing you can do than killing them, than can, raping them. Eradicate their very existence. Eat their soul, brah. 
Right. And it's it's an interesting plot device. Uh, and it's interesting in a lot of ways. Primarily for me, it's always been interesting because I'm I'm consuming something of my enemy or of my victim. Right. I'm losing something of myself in the process. And I'll tell you why I like it. They give it to every player as a temptation. Just having fangs. Right. Gives you that ability. And I love it as a storyteller because if that player is that frustrated with an NPC and they hate him, and I mean they hate him. I've seen it. It's done. Nate's done it. I've I've been a crowd where I watched it happen. I always love watching that part of the of their ego just fuck this motherfucker. You don't get to just die, right? <laughs> I'm just, you, you're mine, and they going it, to done. cannibalize you. Now, what does Diablo give you? Gives you advanced vampiric power, and and it's optional. It can only be for the scene, as the rules state. It can be permanent. Right, you can you can do it now, and it can you know. It's one of those things that yeah, there are iron. Actually, clad. this is the first time it's mentioned in the rules. Now you do gain power mm-hmm. from doing it; it's permanent. Uh, but they also add what's the downside? Not only is it the most pleasurable thing you've ever done, even beyond drinking just normal blood. Um, the fact is, is that there's a potential that Nate taking in my eight hundred years, I have eight lifetimes more memory than he does. <laughs> right, I've lived through it. Nate gets all of that. It's buried in his subconscious, but hopefully that wears off as he goes on. But what if it doesn't? Well, they mention I could take him over. And they don't mean that I'm now Nate. It's Nate is a hodgepodge of my memories versus his. Right. I'm I'm taking on some aspect of your personality. So to give you a great analogy, imagine you have an iPod playlist and Nate has 100 songs. But I have 800 songs. And we put it on random. How much of my music are you going to listen over Nate's? <laughs> right. Think of that as the memories and the downfall, right? <laughs> right, right, absolutely. And uh, they give you some hints for, you know, using that effectively because it is a plot device. It is a tool that can be used. Yep. Um, and then uh, um, they go on from there talking about the battle for immortality. <laughs> battle for immortality is, honestly... <sighs> It's it's hard because when you look at this, it's like, you know, you could tell a chronicle if you wanted to. Um, as they reference it in here, I'm sure they, they take it very different in some parts of it. I always feel they mention this as you, the vampire, warring against other vampires for your eternity. Right. It's uh, a, it's about using survival. Taking your, staking your claim, making it through all this. What's it like coming out at the end? Um, or reversely, you're a mortal or a ghoul and you want to be immortal. How does that look and whatnot? You can take this a lot of different ways. Uh, even in this, when you check it out, they're going to mention some highfalutin. Right. Honestly, here's what I would do. I'd skip it. Right. Because you go through everything else through here, reading it. It's great to right. kind of seed your brain with maybe something down the road. But right there, you'll need it set. It's right. a little redundant. Right. Uh, moving on from there. Uh, chapter five, we go into the enemy, and uh, this is uh, for when this book came out. For what is included in this chapter, this is a great addition to your ability to run a chronicle. It gives you examples of different types of antagonists that you can use. The you know the primogen council, the 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 bully from the Bruja clan. Um, it gives you you know base concepts that you can further iron out that maybe you didn't have already in your head how do you create a good bad guy honestly the thing that's worth more than anything that's great they have templates at the bottom fuck them in my opinion how do you create a good bad guy anybody can think of an npc you want right what makes that npc good or what makes an npc bad right i'll tell you what we'll talk about what makes a bad npc I, I randomly character generate a name 
online using name generator. Right. I put him as the prince. That's where I want him. I assign him some stats off of some cold template, and then he's in the world. Right. And I look up what he looks like online, get his photo, put it in a splat book, and hey, guys, that's the prince. Here he is. Let's deal with it. You've put no work into this. You've right. put no work. You may think that's work. That's not work. You didn't attach that this guy lived the life, where he came from, why your city, why in your setting, why does he want to be this prince? Because we'll just stick with that. Um, why why does he want to be immortal? What did immortality? How did immortality change him? Can the players influence him? Does he have wants? Does he have needs? Does he fall in love with one of the characters? Is love possible? Is he more of a monster pretending? to be a human than anything else these are good characters when you go through those thought processes that makes something worth watching and understanding and when you don't do that you are not storytelling you're clerking you're phoning it in (laughs) phoning it the fuck in right so you can go through here and you can take a look at these these base sort of concepts that they've created definitely spend some time to iron them out more if you're going to use them, if they're going to be important, and I, I feel like having anything cookie cutter in your game is really doing a disservice to the world you've created because there's nobody in the world that's cookie cutter. As much as you might think, you know, Tom from down the street's a cookie cutter guy, Tom's got motives. Tom's got a life. Tom's got things that he's interacted with. Tom may have a dozen dogs under his fucking floorboards right. in his house Tom working to upgrade to a human. Uh, you know, some creepy asshole. <laughs> Uncle Touchy. Right. You have no idea. But uh, moving on from there, those are very just basic concepts, just to give you some ideas. Before we leave it, yeah, my favorite in there, though, the Kate of Diabolist. <laughs> it's my favorite. It's always liked it. So, so moving on from there, they, again, very briefly talk about the Sabbat. We've, we've, we've come to understand that the Sabbat. We got to read what guys. they call the Sabbat at this point, because I bet you, as Sabbat fans that we are, it's going to be vastly different from what we know of now. Right. So a moment for the, Nate to grab that the, right quick. The Sabbat, um, feared beyond reason by Camarilla Neonates, the Sabbat gladly plays the role of the evil boogeyman with no horror being too vile for it to per, uh, per, uh, perpetrate. I don't know why the fuck I can't read. Uh, <laughs> so uh, they give you like a basic concept. The vaguest idea right, of what right. the Sabbat. They actually, I feel like they did a better job of ironing out what the Sabbat entailed in the inquisition book yes read uh in our previous podcast um they give you just a very basic concept of like the sabbat are just like these horrifying boogeymen and that's great at the very base when you scratch the surface of what the sabbat is or at least what they will come to define the sabbat as being later in books this is just like yeah there's a sabbat their quote is, you have your choice, join us or die. That is a very, I just started playing this game concept of what the Sabbat is. That sounds like the third right given fangs. And again, this is <laughs> this is the very basic concept of what the Sabbat is at this point. They they uh, White Wolf had an understanding of what they wanted to do. But you had no idea of what that was. Right, right. <laughs> just there's some boogeymen and they're vampires in the cult somewhere in your city. And you better watch your back. There's more of them than you. And you will join them or you will die. Right. And, and, and they, they give you an example of a Sabbat character and they call him the Sabbat pack leader. So at this <laughs> point, they haven't even ironed out what those roles are in the sabbat at all the sabbat are just the bad guys and they know someone has to lead them right and, and it's a pack leader they know they're a pack <laughs> and they know they got a leader right but they don't know what that pack leader is called it's just called a pack leader and he really likes freedom that's that much we know 
that much we've established. Um, the Inkanu. Yes. I just jump in from there. The Inkanu. Here's where you get a taste of them. But again, the Inkanu read very much like the Sabbat. Very vague. Right. They and what watch stuff. Right. They look out for things. We know the Jihad in again. By them pointing out Children Inquisition, what Dracula's about and what he's into, right. you get an idea of what the Inkanu is. And here's a little further taste of a template to not be Dracula, but an Inkanu monitor, which is basically a powerful-ass Methuselah watching an area. Right. Yep. That's pretty much pretty much what it is. Uh, then they show us some independence. And again, we kind of touched on independent clans in the player's handbook right they covered the setites they covered the asimites uh they covered the giovanni they covered the ravno uh here we have an a, a, an example a ravno con artist which is literally <laughs> like the very most basic ravno. i would say even racially insulting to a degree <laughs> some of it just in sensitivity it's okay but right and then they go into uh what the real uh new introduction in this book is the minor bloodlines and i found it very interesting that one of these minor bloodlines which we'll get to uh in just a moment was defined really before the the sect that they emerged from exactly um but here we have the gargoyles were first introduced to the idea of the gargoyles and uh they they give you a you know basic you know one page uh summary of them some powerful ass discipline they have with serotica right um you know the the fact that they're basically controlled by the tremere which we come you know to learn a little bit more detail about later on and then every goddamn power you could ever want to give them good bravo <laughs> right and there it is we weren't gonna get detail on the power right. if you haven't heard of this erotic it's in this book if you pick it up you're gonna read it right and this is gonna be an outdated version of it if you're playing a right. newer chronicle you want to go with whatever the newer powers are i highlight that where we're at still is enjoying where the modern stuff got its stroke right, from. right right this is where it all emerged from this is the origin story of these uh these these bloodlines these uh these disciplines and things like that so uh what we were talking about just a moment ago the blood brothers uh very strange that we're introduced to the blood brothers this is a very old concept and a lot of people don't understand that but these guys are uh you know they they basically state like hey these guys are from the sabbat right and what this leads you to believe i remember now reading this book thinking the blood brothers was like a famous pack right they're like these badass sabbat dudes right who go about and look what they do they're close together they're about each other they're you know how unified can you possibly be They'll tell you they invented a discipline called sanguinous. They can crawl on each other's skin. Right. It's going to get very close. <laughs> right. And, <laughs> in, in and, uh, and again, this is a very basic sort of concept. And um, if you have any understanding of this game, you understand that the Blood Brothers are essentially a group of vampires that share their discipline. Appearances among, even. Right. right among each other. Um, and, uh, you know, interesting that they would start here. Then explaining a whole lot about where people get concepts of this game we we stumble upon the bali the first introduction of the demon worshiping horrors from mesopotamia and uh is that what they call them they call them devil worshipers bali are devil worshipers they are more committed to utter evil than the most psychotic malkavian or brutal sabbat bishop um which is weird that they mentioned Bishop there, but right, but not under the Sabbat. Right, but the it's just a pack leader for the Sabbat. <laughs> right, they they paint the Sabbat as this vague, <laughs> right, super cult. Right, and and I I feel like the reason why they do this is because they probably already have all these concepts ironed out, but there's a book coming. 
There's a book that's going to define all this. This stuff. had deadlines, right? This had deadlines written all over it. Hey guys, you need to write the storyteller's guidebook. It needs to hit a certain amount and you got deadlines coming. And I feel some people were fired. Some ships were made <laughs> and they were like, what content was asshole working on? Right. How editor, how do we make this make sense? Well, we got those books coming out don't define it. Use the vaguest idea. Right. That's enough. Put it in. Because at this point, what, what is a Sabbat Bishop? You know, that, that's, that's a very interesting concept. If there's a Sabbat pack leader in he above a Bishop. So clearly they had a concept of what they wanted the Bali to be. And it is, I feel revealed in their level nine power, because there's no reason you'd have to have a level nine power unless you were trying to destroy a world with it. Oh, what's the level nine power of Daimonin? It's called Call the Great Beast. Son and, of a bitch. And it, uh, by the way, in this book, it is way easier to accomplish than it becomes in later editions. People love this. I know our fans listening love this. Please read first edition Call the Great Beast. Call the Great Beast. The ritual takes four hours to cast and requires the sacrifice Four hours to cast, by the One way. game session. Yeah. Uh, and it requires the sacrifice of 50 victims, kindred or kind, with at least four humanity each. One of the great demon lords of the netherworld will thereupon erupt from Hades. The details of this are up to the storyteller. No shit. Uh, but it is safe to say that such entities are more powerful than any vampire and that the world is in serious trouble. This is presented more as a plot device than a way for sadistic storytellers to waste a troop. Uh, I definitely understand. Uh, the, it's really not very well ironed out. You don't even need this at no, this point. No. They don't even have, they introduced level nine powers, level 10 powers in previous books. You didn't need this. No. Because it's, why? No. Just why? <laughs> and it, it, and it, is, it is vastly different than what, call the great beast becomes when a certain clan book comes out and just often how it happens i ask why my brain answers the reason why they did do this is because they made those level 10 powers and there are there's going to be some some game somewhere played fucking at fourth gens everybody and <laughs> right, to, right. take a 10th level power <laughs> and and let's let's have at it well what villain are you gonna have to go against them a level nine call the great beast Bali. Yeah, yeah. Well, he could just do that. He can just, but, but it's it's very interesting. The very basic concept of what the Bali eventually become, which is a much more sinister thing, much more disturbing and disgusting. Yeah, the fact is that they can go further, and they did. Yeah, for sure. Because what's beyond serving hell, serving what came before hell. Right. Then we move on. We have ghouls. Uh, we won't spend a lot of time here. If you, they're ghouls. Right. Renfield, we'll get back there to you it. Go. Um, up next, we start to see uh, some of the the other uh, breeds of supernatural creatures. Um, for you as a storyteller, if you'd like to include as an enemy to your vampire game, which all of you know will eventually become their own line of books. I'm gonna I'm gonna have fun with this. I'm gonna start with werewolf. Mm -hmm. Real quick, werewolves. We know them, right? You know them, right? Moving on. A guru pack leader. Again, we don't really have an, an idea of what that's going to be called. The Magi. <laughs> uh, and the interesting thing that you can see here is that the only frame of reference for powers that we have are the powers that vampires have. So all of these these groups, these supernatural groups that will eventually have their own books, right now they just have vampire uh, powers. That's it. Cause and it, and they, it got an outline. They're not called mage, are they? No, they're called Magi. Hmm. Weird. Yes. yes. Uh, they'll they'll get their they'll get their time, 
they, and they have here Hermetic Magus for their their uh, concept for their character. And and again, I'm going to underline this why I happen to know uh, the exact reason why. This is where you're seeing all these ideas being pitched. They're seeing what sticks. Right. What They're, should they develop more? What are you more interested in? Throwing darts at the dartboard. Uh, the fairy, uh, spirits of vengeance, the fairy kidnapper, will learn more about changeling uh, in a book that comes out later. Exactly. Ghosts. Spirit of vengeance. Um, we're not referring to ghost writer. We're not, nope. honestly. Uh, how to use ghosts is really what this is all saying. How would I use Faye? How would I use magic? How would I use ghosts? How would I use werewolves? Right. How are they enemies? How could I use them as enemies? Right. And they give you an idea. And uh, these are for you. You just want to use these concepts, but you don't want to go invest in any of the books. You don't want to read the Wraith book because at this point, the Wraith book isn't even out. Right. These are all things that will become their own game system, and you can use them from there. We have things like mummies, demons. <laughs> uh, just a race mummies. Like, right. Weak. Witch hunters, mad scientists, all the little, just giving you basic concepts of things that you can introduce in your game for good or for ill to whatever you decide you want to do to enhance your chronicle should you should think concept does it fit my theme and mood is it in my chronicle are these good enemies to have here's their templates start here see how it goes and we move on to our next chapter chapter six the ways really i'm honestly i'm gonna take this these chapters out right here let's just look at it this way it talks about we'll, we'll, we'll summarize it talks about multiple actions narrative combat advanced combat here's what they're talking about there are many ways that you can run a game to where they'll have interest and they'll hold it for your troop your troop will tell you how they like it tell you how they like it it's the best way i could say it. <laughs> right <laughs> when it comes to combat multiple actions that kind of give you a taste at this point that yes it's possible to punch and kick another per right. punch one dude and kick another dude to really get into the meat of it but it should also be hard they give you an idea of how to run it every troop seems to have their own way of doing it here it is here's another way narrative combat i definitely believe and subscribe to narrative combat for a lot of situations if your players nine times out of ten are going to create way more powerful people than your average npc All right that you have going on do not be the storyteller that rolls out every fight they want do not be this and if you're going to do that do not be the storyteller that goes, all right, you win and move on. Tell them right. what they do. They're, Make them a part of that narration. The most annoying thing in any game for me as a player is when you do eventually end up in a combat scene and your storyteller is like, all right, roll your six dice. Uh, okay, I, I got four successes. All right, you hit him. Uh, let me roll my dice. Uh, he hits you. I don't know anything of what's going on. I, there's nothing there to help me formulate what what is going. on. I don't on. even want to hear you roll dice. No, and that's what this is talking about. When I run games, I don't I don't tell you my successes. Right. I need yours to know how well you did. That's the control you get in an uncontrollable situation like fighting. Nate, please roll this dice pool. You're hitting the guy. Cool. You got how many successes? Okay. Here's what happens. See what happens right there. Goes from his successes to where I gauge how well he did. Right. If I rolled dice, if I'm going to honor what I rolled, whatever, I'm looking for one thing as a storyteller. What's the best way to prop up Nate's character or to make it the struggle it should be or to tell a successful, creative, entertaining right. outcome to keep this lively for everyone interesting? I'm going to tell you something, Jack. The number one thing that keeps your players entertained at game is how good the combat goes. I do not care what your plot's about, what your story's about, what romance you got going on. It is literally, when it comes to it, someone's got to go 
someone's got to stay you know wh- whatever you're fighting for is this good right is it good because that's gonna breathe fire under the majority of your players that's got to be good enough for everyone to want to hear they want to hear somebody chopped off someone's head the sound the claws rending through flesh are as warm blood splashes on their feet what does the warm blood feel like what does it taste in the tongue how horrific is it to me who's just an artist all these things that's what this is And, and a piece of advice for you even going so far as to like just read some fiction yeah. Read a good author. Read some Stephen King. Stephen King will go on for days about sounds and smells and, and, and you know, violence. You ain't got to be Stephen King. You no. just got to describe what your, your players are experiencing. And to piggyback off of you, there's a reason why the storyteller screen or the DM screen was invented. Yep. Because... You're you're the Wizard of Oz. You are literally the Wizard of Oz. You have you could do whatever you want behind that screen. It doesn't matter because you're telling a story. Exactly. At the end of the day, that's what you're doing. Now, having said that, here's the systems. Here's some advanced right. systems if they, you choose to use. We talked on longer than the page gives you because right. I believe you should know the real to what they wrote. Right. Uh, but the advanced combat is in the beginning. We are still getting down to where everything has a place and there's a place for everything. Right. And that's advanced combat initiative, the difficulties, right. this how is hard all... it is, the weapons charts, firearms charts, melee weapons. This Here it is. You want it, here it is. You can compare it. And at the end of the day, most of these are either they've been adjusted for the modern game. They've changed the, you know, they've, they've had 25 years to basically make these rules uh, run a bit more smoothly. So this part here, as far as why you'd want to read this book, it, it is pointless. It is not necessary to what makes this book good. In 92, maybe, but today, no. And really to help you out, we're at the end. Because right. the last chunk of this is Mind's Eye Theater. We're not going to get into Mind's Eye. Mind's Eye Theater's origins is in this book. That's all we're getting into it. Because they do it better. They do it. It makes more sense later on down the road. We don't need to see it here. It's here because at the time this came out, right. this gave you a way to do that, and this highlighted that way, but you don't need it. Right. And then uh, it's going to go into your appendix, not your actual physical appendix, but the uh, append- appendix of the book. Of all the books up to now. Right. And it's going to give you all the awesome different disciplines that you need, all the all the powers that you need, you know, all, all of that stuff. Uh, again, not necessary for you if you're playing this game today but at the time great it's a great resource for the storyteller so that pretty much wraps up this book um there's some merits and flaws in here there's some different aptitudes again these are all things that at the time great for you as a storyteller does it have an application today really no it doesn't no so as a whole the storyteller's handbook is fantastic to read for the themes i'd ignore the rules really um, because in a modern setting, you have all the updated rules. Why am I going to play with Old Busted when I got new hotness? Right. But it is fantastic for how to build a chronicle. Absolutely. This book uh, was the very first storytelling guide that White Wolf ever released. And it was really an important addition to the game. Uh, just to maybe take some concepts you had an idea of and really make them really iron them out, really make them ironclad for you as a storyteller to either justify what you're doing or to give you tips tips and tricks to take what they gave you in Chicago by night in that setting and just creating your own. 
You know, yep. sometimes you live in Seattle and you don't know jack shit about Chicago and you just want to run your game out of your home city of Seattle. Great. Here's do a it. tool to do that. Here's how you go about doing what we did in our previous books. And for that, it was really a great addition to to their uh, their game line. And set the whole thing. And also, it made a presence where they never have to do it again. Because even the Storyteller's Handbook, after this, I'll give you a tip, does not get this detailed. No, it doesn't. Because, you know, they realize that uh, while this one is super detailed on all the different things that you can add into a game, there are certain things you just don't need to be told. Storyteller's Handbooks later on go, okay, you need to know about new clans and whatever, but you need more meat and you don't need all them potatoes. Right. And they elim- and by the potatoes, I mean rules. Right. You didn't need to know how to throw a better jump kick. That That's irrelevant. Right. And they get all the weapons charts and shit out of it. And we'll get into that. But let's just say that the better Storyteller's Handbook for uh, conceptualization is down the road but a good start and actually i think the best one so far for making a chronicle is still this right well that's uh, that's about all it needs to be said uh, i it? give i give it an eight out of ten i absolutely would give it an eight out of ten i think up until this point it's one of the best books they have out right. to enhance vampire the only criticism i would give this book and it's not even really a fair criticism but the only real criticism i would give this book is it is visually boring yes uh, they will come to improve that later. Um, but this, you can tell, this is a book that is, we're not fucking around with people trying to, <laughs> we're not trying to get people to buy into our game. These are people who are already bought in. We're specializing. You're the storyteller. You know you need this book. You're Here the you man know. behind the curtain. Right. We're not going to give you all the fancy pictures. We're not going to pay the artists this time. Just read the book and now have fun with your with your troop. Done. Cool. Uh, that's really all that we have to say. Thank you very much for listening. We mm. hope you all enjoy this book and enjoy the podcast. If you do, definitely like it, share it with your friends, subscribe to us on iTunes. All of your friends, even the ones that are, you know, I'm too jockey for give it to them. They yeah, say Nate has a good voice to listen to. I, uh, I don't know about that. but I'm whoring you out, man. I'm amazing <laughs> to listen to because apparently I'm either humorous, funny, or scary, but everyone's like, Nate has that voice, man. Cool. I do. Thank Throw you. it on him. Thank Throw you. I appreciate it. It's very nice of you all to say. Uh, thank you to our fans who kept in contact with us over our uh, uh, holiday vacation. Hopefully you enjoy this one. And we I love back. likes, but I love comments more. Right. Yeah, definitely participate. Um, that's that's key. Uh, you know, typically people do not participate. They just passively listen. We love it when people participate. Give us some criticisms. You know, if there's things if we're too long winded to hear, if we're not detailed enough here, let us know. Help us improve. We tell you we summarize a lot, but we've heard a lot of people say just get into it. But at the same time. We're looking for, you know, there's a lot of people that listen, and if you want us to get super defined, great, but it's going to extend the podcast. Right. Just right. know that. And and it's evident by this one, and now that we're doing these every week, give or take, you know, we, we can get a little long-winded sometimes. So, But anyways, let's not get more long-winded. You all enjoy. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week. Good night. Bomb the living bejeepers out of those horses.